Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Engler. I am here with our fantastic producer, Nathan Yoder. We are dealing with a question that we actually polled you and you came back with. And the question is, why do I have to deal with my past? And I am here with Tommy Carreras. Uh, He is going to share a little bit more about himself, but he's leading an organization called Unstuck. And so we're really looking forward to this question because I'm sure that all of us, to some degree, are dealing with it. Tommy, welcome to Why Got Why, brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. Responding to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. What an intro. <laughs> it is. I Thank you for having me, Peter. This is so much fun. And I have been a big fan of your podcast from afar mainly because of that exact topic. The the topic is brilliant because don't we wish also church was the place where you could ask all the questions that you don't feel comfortable asking in church. But the best part is, even though that's your tagline, that's the kind of church you guys are too. And I love that because that's how we should be. So big fan. Glad to be here. Tommy, I love it. Well, you know, there's a specific reason why, you know, we threw this question out to our listeners to vote on. Why don't you kind of tell your story of how you landed today and how you've, you know, really developed a passion around uh, this organization, Unstuck, but also, you know, addictions and mental health and the past? Yeah. So a little bit of my story growing up, I, I grew up in a sort of offshoot Christian kind of church. Um, now I've realized it, it wasn't maybe necessarily in line uh, with with mainline faith tenants, but uh, it, we were semi-involved, not really. Uh, so I learned some of the basics that God probably is love, probably is somewhere and probably doesn't hate me. So that was, it was helpful. It was better than a, a really damaging message, but at the same time, I didn't really get much to it and didn't really see much of it happening in real life. And above all else, I didn't really, I didn't really care. And part of that was being a kid. And part of that was, it wasn't much to care about. It was kind of this spiritual thing out there somewhere. And when I died, I got to float on a cloud happy somewhere. And and that wasn't the most compelling vision for my childhood life, if you could imagine. But I liked to be philosophical too, and ask annoying questions. And that didn't seem to fit in very well. And so I just stopped. Um, and the Christians I knew were really boring and I, I, I didn't love that kind of out of touch and all of them were way holier than me. And I, that they made that very clear. <laughs> and so, uh, really all throughout high school, same way, got more and more distant from any of that. Uh, not that I was ever very close, but got more distant. And so, uh, life right after like junior year of high school went to crap completely. Um, realized that I was probably a terrible person, family was falling apart and lost all my friends just sort of all at the same time. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of people's stories, something similar, like it was this culminating just crash moment. And I figured the best way out of that was to date the best girl that I could find. Um, somebody that was wonderful and clearly had her life together. So I tried that and she turned me down flat a few times and I was like, that 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 feels strange because I could tell she kind of liked me. She told me, hey, I like you. I just, we can't, no, I don't want to date you because, you know, we're not in the same place in our relationship with God. I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that is. Maybe if somebody told me I, I, I would have one, I don't know, which 
there's evangelism right there, right? How was I supposed to know what it was? Um, and she said, well, you can go to church and find out. And had another good friend invite me to what is actually her dad's church. He was a pastor. So just aim for the pastor's girl, like daughter, right? That's the best way to fix your life. But um, I started going to church, found Jesus, found friends, um, people that cared about me, even though they knew that I wasn't anywhere close to not just not perfect, but I, I was a, I was a hot mess and they loved me and they took me in, um, didn't care about any of that. And then I started dating her and we're married and have two kids. But the main reason we wanted to, to start what we started and, and also the, the, the main reason we wanted to help people not be so stuck anymore is that I have spent my life stuck in different things. And it's just been the theme of my life over and over. It was like I, I was just trading. I, I traded all of all of these things before Jesus for these other things that I was stuck by or stuck in post Jesus. And some of them were clear holdovers, right? Like I thought that you come up out of the water and and you're like, Hey, all the stuff stayed in the water. Turns out it didn't. Hmm. And it just came right out of the water with me. And, uh, I, I was sold that message so many times too. Like if you just lean in and have faith, like, what does that mean though? I do but it's not working. I, it's just not working. And so when I went into ministry at some point, um, I was uh, nine years ago now, I went into ministry uh, to figure out if that was what I wanted to do with my life. And I realized that that was the question that I, everyone was asking, not what's true, what's good, not even what's best, but what works. I have a problem and I need something that works. And so often we were trying desperately as a church to offer not just what's true, because we care about what's true as Christians, but, but the people coming in the, through the doors on a Sunday, like sometimes still drunk, right? Or still guilty or still something with all the stuff from the outside still on them, right? And with all this shame thinking, I wonder if the lightning bolt's going to hit me mm. or not, um, or the building's going to fall down. How often did I hear that one was? It was a lot. Um, people walking in weren't thinking like, well, what's true? I really want to know. They were thinking, what's going to get me out of this, this muddy, dark hole that I live my life in? And as I went through time in ministry, I kept realizing that I, I was trying to give them that, trying to help them not be so stuck. And I could give them hope and a vision of what was possible. I could give them true things. But so often I felt I saw myself falling short because I couldn't actually help them get unstuck. They had to get unstuck. Mm -hmm. And I, and that was that was it. And I didn't know what my part was, but I knew that I was supposed to have a part. And I knew that I couldn't just offer prayer and I couldn't just offer making them feel better because that usually felt really good for me and they felt good until they went and and realized they were still in the hole. They just didn't realize it. Um, or I could tell them to fix their theology or thinking. And that wasn't that great either. And so, um, it was, it was really around that time or a few years ago that I realized I, I need something else. I need real tools. Um, and I need, I need a different perspective to be able to offer people something more and offer myself something more because 
even though it all looks different, I'm still insecure. I'm still uh, unmotivated at times. I'm still like I have a tendency to focus on my image instead of, you know, my real authentic health. Uh, all of those things were still true. They just looked different. Mm. Um, and that was that was what needed to change. It's like I don't want to look better. I want to actually be better and different. And it didn't seem like most of the things out there were actually helping me with that. And I didn't feel like I had anything to give to other people too. I mean, have you felt that way also? Like, I mean, you're a pastor, like what do you run into that same thing? Feeling like it's like, am I really helping or am I not? No, I, I struggle with that question a lot. Um, and, and just, we've articulated that on the podcast too. Like it's not, the people aren't who I'm meeting with aren't asking the question, is Christianity true? They're asking, does it work? So, but one thing yeah. about your story yeah. that, that I want to kind of back up because I thought it was fairly powerful, you know, take us back to that junior year of high school. You know, you said mm-hmm. I lost some friends. Um, like, you know, as you feel comfortable, what were you going through that really pushed you to kind of ask some of the deeper questions that you had? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And it, it, it fits very well because, uh, the, the day <laughs> I won't give all the, the details, but the, the day that I, the only way I've learned, I've, I've figured out how to describe it is I walked into my house, uh, summer before senior of high school and felt like a, <laughs> That's the best way I can put it. So I'm sorry. Uh, felt like I, uh, was a dog walking in to my house late at night with my tail between my legs because I pooped on the carpet again and I knew I wasn't supposed to, I didn't actually poop on the carpet to be clear. Uh, it's a metaphor, but I, I felt like I had done it again. I knew better. I said I wasn't going to do it. They trained me not to, and I did it again. And I, I just walked in thinking like, I I don't, I got nothing. I have no answers for why I did this again, why I'm here still. I don't want to be here. I don't like being here. I don't think it's good to be here. I'm motivated to not be here and I'm here again. So what, what do I do with that? Mm. And it was that utter utter, not hopelessness, it was pretty close, but helplessness. I feel absolutely incapable. And that was the thing that really, like, I I need outside help. And the outside help wasn't Jesus. Like I said, first it was, it was a girl. Um, just wasn't the answer either (laughs) to be very clear. Um, but I knew I needed outside help. And that was the biggest moment that shifted because I had a moment similar to that a month or so before that. But the answer was, I'm serious this time. It's like how often have we all said that, you know, but 17 year old me was like, this is, this is it, man. I've never been serious before and I'm serious. That'll do it. Turns out that wasn't the, that wasn't the answer. Um, so you don't have to get, that was the moment. You don't have to get super specific, but it sounds like you were pointing to some sort of addiction or was it, you know, depression or was it anxiety? If you were to, no, it was, 
it was something that I now realize was, was something I was addicted to. Yeah. Mm. And it was, and it was fascinating because I didn't have that language then. I don't even always recommend that language. I I don't think it's necessary language even, but the, the point was that I kept doing something or things that were bad for me that I didn't want to do. And I just did them anyway. Mm. And if that's not the definition of addiction, then I don't know what is. <laughs> and once I realized that and admitted, it just so happens the first step of, in the, you know, the 12 steps is admit that you're powerless over your addiction. The moment I recognize I'm powerless to change this, I keep hurting people and myself no matter how serious I am or no matter how good of a plan I have, I, because that was true, whether I liked it or not, I just had to do something about it. But it was mm. once I admitted it and just was honest about it. I, I didn't necessarily feel a whole, I, I felt shame around it. It was, it, it was an appropriate level of shame, right? It was like, this is bad. <laughs> it's okay to recognize it was bad, but it wasn't shame. It was like, honesty. I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't change it. And this is bad. Those are all true things. And so I, I liked to think of it and I still like to think of it as, as a, a sense of more radical honesty than anything else. And if I'm honest, I do, I do stuff that's stupid and I do stuff that hurts me and it hurts other people, even though I don't want to. And sometimes I like it. So as if I'm on board with that, then we can go somewhere and do something. But if I'm not willing to admit that, I'm never going to, I'm never going to move. I'm never going to change. So something that I'm appreciating about this story, and, and this is why I think it's important for us to talk about this. So the question we're dealing with, why do I have to deal with my past? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you talk about that really dark day, your junior year of high school, and then you become like a worship pastor and then you meet people that <laughs> like stuff doesn't work. And so mm-hmm. I, I guess, how would you respond to someone that says like, Jesus saved me, who cares about my past? Cause mm-hmm. it seems even in this conversation, yeah. you have a healthy wrestling and healthy understanding that yeah, Jesus might save you, but that doesn't devoid what happened to you in the past or all that you've got. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of walk through that with people and even yourself? Yeah. So what's interesting is I think a lot of times it's easy to say, or, or maybe we've heard, you know, my mess becomes my message or something along those lines. And that's, I I think that's absolutely true. But we often look at the past as now the story I tell to talk about how good God is. And that that's not wrong in any way, shape or form. So it's not wrong, but it's, it can't be just that, right? Because if it's just the story, then is that it? It's just for other people. And it's, it's just done. And in the books, and there was this legal transaction. and, And I get that there's like this idea that we're justified by faith and our slate is wiped clean and we are forgiven completely. And there's no more condemnation for those in Christ. All of those things are true. All of those things are true. And, and I believe that it is, it is true in an eternal heavenly cosmological sense, right? It is just boom, done. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took the penalty, the condemnation and the weight of our, and of our sin. 
So I believe that that's true. But at the same time, is that really, is that really it? Why don't I do things better now then? Why do I still feel all of these same feelings that I did before? Why is there so much holdover? And what do I think happens to all that stuff? Do I think that God does a, does a magic trick and like poof washes it away? And, and I think that I actually thought that for a while. And I think a lot of us want to think that because it feels better and it feels like we're doing sometimes it can feel maybe like we're doing God a disservice by still thinking that there's something to deal with in the past. Like maybe I'm talking down the effectiveness of salvation or God's grace. If I say, yeah, but I still got issues. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that could be further from the truth, right? Because God isn't looking for me to validate his sovereignty, goodness, grace, or power. He doesn't need my help with that. He just is all of those things in perfection. And he doesn't need me to prove that for him. Right. Um, also, what do we think he's asking of us? If it's to just be these perfect little people running around, then why why didn't he just take over when he did, you know, why was he born into obscurity? Why was he, I grew up as an average person for 30 years in obscurity where we have one story about his life when he was 12. Why did he, uh, like, why was he Jewish in an oppressed people group during the height of one of the greatest, most powerful civilizations of all time. Like if he wanted to be the perfect person, like, and I believe he was sinless, but if he wanted to be this perfect Alexander, the great Caesar, like he would have just taken over and he would have won the war and he would have said, everybody come be like me. But what he wanted to do is validate this human experience and say like, it, it, it's okay to just be human too. Mm. And then he died our death and he dealt with the junk and then he came back to life and invited us into that. And so what he shows us is he doesn't solve the problem from on high. He gets into the mess and then he doesn't even come and just fix it all in the mess. He comes and experiences the whole mess, right? He becomes this from Hebrews, great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's experienced every form of human weakness not because he was weak, but because he was human and he felt angry and he felt sad and he felt betrayed and he felt forsaken and he felt lost. And he felt confused and he felt all of these things because that's what it is to feel human. And then he went into all of our pain, died the death that not just we deserved in this like retribution vengeance sense, but died the death we're all headed for. Mm hmm. Because he knows that the only path to actual resurrection is through the darkness of our lives. And that's the model. And so in that way, it just feels like we don't have to protect God's image by just trying to live in the present and live in the goodness and say, yeah, but God's good. So I'm fine. It's not true, though. No. You know what would really show God's goodness is, is being honest mm. and not only saying, yeah, I feel this way right now, but also I got a bunch of stuff and a bunch of issues that are unresolved and I have to deal with them. 
And that is a much more, I think, appropriate view of what grace is. Grace is God's willingness to come sit in the mud with us and lead us out gently, not throw us an instruction manual and say, here's how to get out of the mud and wash yourself up so you can come mm-hmm. represent me better. Uh, that's just not how he works. And so that's the, my theological take on it is, is we don't have to protect God's image anymore. We have to accept his gift mm. of actual presence in our darkest moments. I mean, read a Psalm, right? David and all the psalmists are not afraid to say how awful everything is. And they also are not afraid to say, and I believe that God's in here with it, even if I don't feel it. And so holding that just massive tension, one in each hand, like both of those things can be true. I think that's the way that we honor how good God is and show how good God is, that he's showing that he's willing to to walk through all of that junk with us. I think this is it's a beautiful description of the gospel that you just gave right there. I want to come back to our listeners because, you know, I think about this question and and I think that this will kind of help even understand Jesus a little bit better is like, we all have varying degrees of not wanting to deal with our past. So as I was getting ready for this episode, I think there's a person that's very aware of their past and not afraid to bring it up, Mm -hmm. but they're not dealing with it. Mm -hmm. You know, we have another person that's a little bit more forward thinking with their past uh, or forward thinking with their life. And, they don't even acknowledge the past. Um, and then you got everybody kind of in between. So like when you think about someone's relationship with the past, you know, and whether they're dealing with it and no one like fully deals with their past. So I think I, I have some fair grounding to say that, but what mm-hmm. are some attributes you see of someone, Hey, they're really dealing with their past in a healthy way to the extent yeah. of, hey, these are telltale signs that you're still dealing with your past in an unhelpful way. Mm. That's a great question. So what's interesting, too, is is that first person you brought up, somebody that knows everything that's happened to them, um, but is still stuck in that, like stuck in the past. Um, it, it's really true. Self-awareness is not the answer. It's a, it's a stop on the path to the answer because self-awareness makes you usually more depressed and more anxious because you're aware of how jacked up everything is. Uh, it's not a good feeling. And so um, just knowing what's wrong doesn't actually fix anything. You just know what's wrong. Um, and then besides that, not admitting the past, not talking about what's happened and not being willing to draw a line is just, it's just inaccurate in every way. It couldn't be further from the truth. It's not mm. a theological question. It's not a spiritual, emotional. It's just like a, that's not how the world universe or human body works. And so, um, it just doesn't, it's not okay. And so, and even, I think this will help us get to, uh, want to get to this understanding of what it looks like to, to deal with the past in a healthy way by talking about how our brains and bodies actually look at the past, right? So our brains are like prediction machines, basically in, in a lot of ways, most parts of the brain are unconscious and 
at least non-rational. They don't think or experience time and logic in the way that this part of our brain does, that kind of front left above the eyebrows. There's one 15%-ish part of the brain that's like, hey, I understand the law of consequence and cause and effect, and I can think into the future. Um, most of the brain doesn't do that, right? And so that part of the brain, too, is the slowest, and it moves at the speed of words, basically, and uh, it's last in processing. And so all of this evidence from the past, you know, when we talk about the brain as a prediction machine, it uses evidence and experience from the past, information about the present moment, and then makes a prediction about the best course of action for the future. And it's usually the least harmful option, right? So the, the, the quickest reactions I have, especially moments of high stress or pain or danger, are always going to be to... Uh, keep me safe in the least harmful way possible. Um, which is not like, that's not a good picture of a great life, right? I, I want to make sure I don't die in the least damaging way possible. You know, I don't want to break everything while I go, but it doesn't sound like a great life, right? That's not wisdom. That's not joy. That's not anything like that, but that's what we're doing because we are not present moment people. We are, mm -hmm people that are experiencing this present moment, but the only reason I am who I am is because of all the things that have happened up until this moment. And so my, my, my experience of the present moment is built on my understanding of the world that's been, that's been building since I was in the womb. Um, and that is how the brain works. It's sort of this base programming idea. And all of it's for the sake of staying in some sense of control and having some sense of balance. Not too good, not too bad, just kind of middle road. That's like the the default position of the brain and the default goal. And that's not a bad thing. Um, but again, it doesn't make for a great life. But to navigate this ridiculously complex and dangerous world, we have to develop this sort of sense of base programming in mm. the brains and they're actually it's, it's called it's a, this um, this idea of neurological beliefs so when we talk about beliefs in in this realm it's not i believe in freedom of speech i believe that jesus is one of like one part of the trinity and this is how the trinity works that's that's great those are intellectual thinking beliefs and they're fine and good but our entire brain has a sense of belief that is not at all like that it's based purely on experience and tied to emotion it is all unconscious and it's mostly and primarily for the sake of protection it's it's like this idea that I need to stay alive first and foremost. And to do that, I have to develop rules of life, unconscious rules of life that say that's bad and that's good. Mm. And if it's not doing that, it's not doing its job. Right. And so that safety part um, is, is huge. So what's keeping me safe is one of the biggest questions that it um, that these beliefs are built on. And those beliefs, because they're not running at the speed of words, right? They're not in the left front part of the brain. They're in something called the limbic system primarily. And the brain is really complex. So not everything is always exactly the beliefs are all around the brain. But this emotional memory idea is actually part of something called the limbic system. And it's our survival system and the amygdalas where, um, you know, it's it's one of the main sources of, of some of our strongest emotions. And so this limbic system, this emotional memory records painful experiences or dangerous experiences all throughout our lives, starting in the womb, which is 
mind blowing. Um, starting from day one or day negative, whatever, but the limbic system is, is understanding the world and building based programming that says when this happens, then this happens. When, when this over here happens, when I, when I cry, somebody comes in and helps me and Mm. smiles. I should cry more when I need something because somebody will help me and smile. Those are all the things I need. I need to stay alive and I need joy from my caregiver. That's like literally, those are the two things that a baby needs, right? Joy and food. (laughs) Um, But what happens if, if I cry and somebody shows up and they, they give me the food, but man, they clearly don't like it. Right. All of there's actual facial recognition circuitry and joy circuitry built into the brain. And it it can tell a baby can tell not the nuances of my face and emotion. Oh, I must be having a bad day. I can tell they're trying, but it's none of that. It's like, do you love me or do you hate me? That's the question a baby's asking. Do you find joy in me? Are you glad to be helping me or am I am I disgusting to you? Joy and disgust are two mm-hmm. of the primary circuits in the brain and they're they're there instantly when we were born and so all of our beliefs start to be built on this idea of am i am i a joy bringer for people or or do i make people disgusted um which if you're a parent you just freak out when you hear that like i'd freak out like did i smile every moment for my children i most of them yeah um but that's that's what our beliefs are built on. And then they, we just keep going. We keep building those beliefs and gathering evidence for this idea. And then what, what do I do if I know that when I cry, somebody either doesn't find joy in me or 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 worse, maybe hurts me or, or maybe just nothing happens? Well, what do I do is I, I stop crying or I cry louder, right? Or I do all these things. And you talk about even attention seeking kids like that's because we need attention. Kids don't seek attention because they want it because they're despicable. They seek it because they need it. And so do we. And so all of our beliefs, our whole lives are built on this idea that I desire safety and joy and commitment and loyalty from other people and love. I deserve, I, I, I just desire to be loved. And that's what all these beliefs are built on and how I protect myself from the pain or the uh, dangerous situations that I encounter or the, the pain of unmet needs. Um, those are going to cement in my life and my behaviors and my emotional states. And that emotional memory system is going to tag that situation and that emotion of fear of abandonment or conflict or relational tension or sadness and grief. It's going to tag that emotion with this dangerous memory and say, we, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And it's just not going to do that. And so then I cope in all of these ways to avoid all of those feelings. Let me, um, let me throw a case study to you if that's okay. Cause, um, I think this might be helpful for our listeners. Say, say I'm a guy in my twenties. I've been really focused on my career. Um, Mm -hmm. so I start dating, um, a few women and, the relationships are are mostly positive. I get to a point in those relationships where I feel like uh, my girlfriend is asking more from me than I'm willing to give. So everything mm-hmm. from 
settle down. Let's have a family. Like I'm, and I'm healthily mm-hmm. acknowledging, Hey, I'm really caring about my career here. I want to stay together. But if you're asking for this, you know, not past a timeline, let's say I I'm with my current girlfriend right now. And for some reason it just hits me. I really love this girl. So obviously this isn't me. This isn't you. You're married, but, and, and I'm kind of at this point where it's like, I really want this to work, but I also realize like in my past, like this is where, you know, this is where I've kind of broken up. Now I have to work through it. Like what questions, what things are going through your mind as you kind of hear this, you know, and you think about this person that they're finally kind of making this switch, but they also have these yeah. years of emotions and it's kind of like, oh man, it's the same movie with a different person. Yeah. You know, what would you be asking? Yeah. What would you be saying to them? Yeah. The biggest question I think we can ask is why? And just relentlessly ask that question until you get to the bottom of something. And there's, um, there's a lot of ways that we can make sure we're asking the right kind of why question. We, we know when we get to the bottom and that's sort of what we've worked on with done with stuck and, and the, the roadmap we created for navigating these situations. Like that's the question we're trying to ask. Why do I do this? Why does this keep happening? Um, what got me here? Um, but if we relentlessly ask why we start asking questions like, well, yeah, yeah. Why, why do I do that? What have I done? And why would I do that? Well, I do that because I feel this way. Well, that's interesting. Why would I feel that way? I don't know why I would feel that way. Well, when maybe, when have I felt that way before? Well, I felt that way then. Well, I felt that way then too. And you track back this emotion through your life and go, oh, well, I've always responded the same way. But also if I keep tracking it back, I come to a, a sort of first case instance. Oh, that was, that was the first time I thought that felt that did that. Well, what happened then? Why was that so bad? Well, it was probably because it was a moment of deep relational pain. Um, that wasn't okay. And even if it wasn't huge or bad, it taught me something. Well, interesting. What did it teach me? Well, it taught me that when I'm vulnerable with somebody, it goes badly. When I get too close, I get burned. Um, when I show that I'm capable, people love me. And it, we start to track back all the way to the belief that was encoded, right? What's written in the base programming? Is it when I'm vulnerable, I get slammed? Mm. Well, guess what you're not going to do? Be vulnerable. When you're tied to one person, they cheat on you. What if that was what you saw when you were four and your parents split up? What do you think that taught you? Like, well, nothing's forever. Well, why would I lock into forever? Right. And and so when you start looking at your own life as evidence and all your behaviors and all your emotions as evidence of what you believe down at the heart level, which is an actual place in your brain, right? It's not your heart. It's your heart somewhere in there. When you look at it at, at that level and stop moralizing everything too, and stop saying, why you know, I do that? Cause I'm sinful. Well, yeah, explain that. 
I'm sinful. I, I do sinful things. Well, explain it more. Well, why do you do the sinful thing? Well, I, I, I do this because I feel this way and I feel this way because I believe this thing. If we can get down to the beliefs, then we get to finally the place that God says that he wants to show up anyway, right? In Ezekiel 36, he says, I want to take out your heart of stone and put a heart of flesh mm. in. Jesus says that all of the words we speak are coming from the overflow of our heart. Everything is God wants to, to take over our hearts and take up residence in the center and the core of us, not fix what we look on, like on the outside. That was what he condemned in the Pharisees, calling them whitewashed tombs. You are dead on on the inside, but man, you're beautiful on the outside, but so what? And so that's where he wants to go with us. And so when we keep asking questions, we usually find a pattern of, of events in our lives, a pattern of pain in our life, or a, a, a pattern of, of moments where I, or, or specific, really large moments too, like that, that's what trauma does to us. But any moments in which we've suffered alone and learned that the world is a dangerous place and we've tied it to an action of ours or a feeling of ours, then we are going to naturally keep doing that and living it out until it's resolved. And until we can actually do something with that and, and have a new belief in its place, we can't just stop believing something. We have to believe the opposite instead of that dangerous, corrupted belief. We have to believe something true instead. We can't just, well, I'm just not going to, I just don't believe that anymore. Well, yes, you do. <laughs> It's nice that you said it, but yes, you do, because yes, we always do. And think about, you know, I've got 31 years of, of, of belief formation under my belt, including when my brain was still like growing physically in size, right? The, most of our beliefs come from even the environment from our first two years of life and, and in so many ways. And so that is like, that's a lot to conquer. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is in for that. He's like, I, you were going to do this the rest of your life. I'm going to reshape, reformat, and rewrite your heart for the rest of your life. That's what I signed up for. And he looks at us and goes like, Did, is that what you signed up for? Because that's what we're doing. I'm mm -hmm. going to make you into a human that is kind, good, lovely, and trustworthy. And we're going to do that a day at a time till you're dead. And that's what it looks like. And so that process is something we do over and over. It's not a one-time transactional kind of process. Mm. Well, so... I love how you took that very specific situation and then you made it, you know, kind of general to the rest of our listeners. Uh, let's get real here. Maybe mm. you and I will both answer these questions. What do you think the <laughs> biggest lie from your past that you've had to overcome? Me personally. Yes. Yeah. This is really easy because... I think about it all the time. Um, it is that I'm worthy of attention when I'm doing something well. Mm. Um, one of the things, one of the things that we, we want to help people do. And one of the things that I figured out in a week of intensive counseling at a wonderful place called the blessing ranch, if your pastor and you need a week of intensive counseling, go there. Um, it kind of saved my life. And so that week was the day or was, was the time that I realized that that was the, that was the corrupted belief inside of me that I'm worthy of attention when I'm doing something well. Mm. And I, I didn't have a traumatic childhood. I had loving parents that tried really hard. They started following Jesus around the same time I did. Um, 
they have their fair share of pain and 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 failures and all of those things and that's that's fine but like i wasn't abused i wasn't neglected and yet i had a damaging painful and and hideously untrue corrupted belief that drove everything that i did and drove me to burnout and drove me to um ruin relationships and um totally not understand myself my limits my boundaries or the fact that it, it was okay when i wanted to take a nap because why would i ever take a nap why would i ever slow down why would i ever show anybody any sort of weakness when i believe that it is true about the world that only people who are doing something well are worthy of attention mm. there's just no way i would do anything different except do things well it's why i quit everything that i wasn't great at in my whole life i wasn't good enough at baseball and so i didn't play baseball i waited till i found a sport that I was better than other people at and i played that one and mm. like that's how it plays out and i'm not gonna tell you how i'm really doing i'm gonna tell you the last thing i did that was interesting or good i'm not gonna tell you that i wasted yesterday i'm gonna tell you about two days ago when i crushed it right when you say how are you doing well two days ago i was great and i'm gonna tell you that um but if if only if you only know that part of me then you don't know me and if i wear a mask then the mask everybody loves the mask but nobody mm. loves me and so that's what corrupted beliefs do to us and that's what that one did to me and there are there are others and there are really specific things like i think that these a lot of the ones that come closest to home or that um that are the most corrupted down at the core are about my identity and self-worth and value Right. If I, um, if I believe something about me, it's usually then also tied to what I believe about God. And so, you know, A.W. Tozer said, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. And I, and I think that's true. I think it usually plays out though, in my belief about myself, right? That statement of mine of I believe that I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm only worthy of attention if I'm doing something well. That's a statement about God, too. It's that I must perform for God so that he loves me. And what's interesting is something true about God and also true about me was the thing that, that flipped it. Because the thing that started to change started to, didn't heal it, but started to heal that corrupted belief was a moment between me and God. Because that's where the healing always begins. It's not just, I think of myself differently. I can't give myself the, the gift of value or attention. Attention is specifically a gift from other people. Joy is a gift from other people. It is me being worthy of somebody else's interest i can't do that i have to wait mm. for that for other people and make sure i'm not destroying it and and blocking it and ruining it so there, there's a big part that i play but that's why healing starts with god it continues with people every time and it has to but it also has to start with god because he's he's willing to do that for us first that's what's so good about him when we don't deserve it and we didn't earn it he's still willing to give us those things that we need not fix us because he's annoyed that we're broken but fill us because he knows that we're empty repair us because he knows that we're broken and heal us because he knows that we're hurting and so that's what he's willing to do for us but the moment that changed my belief 
for example, um, was wildly specific because that's also how good God is. I was sitting reading in that, um, like counseling house, you know, that week of intensive counseling. And she tells me it's like day two or something. And she tells me, Hey, go, uh, you know, go spend some time in the Bible and just, just ask God to show up, see what happens. And I was like, yeah, this is going to go great. I'm feeling awesome. Really want to go have my quiet time. Right. I was so, it was a cynical day. Okay. It was a bad day. Uh, and so I go and I'm sitting in this room and I'm reading the Bible and I, I flip, I'm like, do that cool thing where you flip open to a page and something happens and it's like, whatever. So I flip open to a page and I read something. And I'm like, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. It's a dumb page. And I, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, well that's, well that, that's interesting. I never heard that what is that? That's weird. And I look at the reference and it was some other thing. I'm like, okay, I'll follow the reference. And I flip open to another thing. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. That's a weird word. Why is that in there? Well, that's funny. That word is also in that verse. I'm like, oh, I'll go to that verse. And then I read something. I'm like, huh. Well, that was really specific about my life and situation. It wasn't the healing moment, but that was, that's interesting. Huh? I wonder if something's here. And I thought, when was the last time I felt that way or thought about that? And I remembered Psalm 18 and the last time I had thought about that verse and was like, I wonder if something's there for me. And I flipped to Psalm 18 and I read it and what flooded back to me, which was fascinating, was a moment from the past. And it was 10 years earlier 10 years, 10 years earlier, that was the verse. And the, the, there was a, there's a, a verse I'll, I'll say in a second from Psalm 18 that radically changed my perspective 10 years before it was like the first moment. It was like the down payment on this moment that God made in a healing moment that I had in a very wounded place in a very dark time, that was the verse that showed up. And I was like, well, that's cool. But then I kept reading and this is what happened. This is right after I had identified I'm worthy of attention if I'm doing something well. And then I read, read, read. And Psalm 18 is really funny because it's like God shows up like a dragon, basically. Um, you know, David says, I'm, I'm going to die and everything's awful. And I called to the, the God, to God on, on, on his throne in his temple. And I, I was in the depths of despair and he heard my call and heard my cry. And then it's this whole massive page long description of God coming like a dragon on the, on the clouds and destroying things with fire and thunderstorms and earthquakes. And it's super epic. It's, it's awesome. But then he comes to this kind of cadence in the middle and he says, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Mm. And I stopped dead in my tracks. And I said, that is the opposite of I'm worthy of attention when I'm doing something well. Because if I wrote that verse with my corrupted belief, it, was, it would be, he rescued me and then delighted in me. He cleaned me up. And then I was, I was, I was presentable to him. And instead, it was he delighted in me. So he rescued me. And it flipped it on its head. And it wasn't like if somebody just said, hey, read this verse. And it was a week before, it would have meant nothing at all. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. 
But in this moment of my deep pain, where I was engaging with the beliefs of my heart based on the evidence from my past and all of the things and all the pain that was unmetabolized and undealt with and unaddressed, it was in that space of deep pain that he said, now I can put something there in its place mm. because it's open. You unsealed the the corridor, right? You unsealed the dungeon. You let me in and now I'm going to put something true there instead. And that was the beginning of that healing process for me. And I realized that's what I have to chase after. I have to chase after that true thing in my relationship with God and my relationship with other people. I have to see the way that they delight in me, not when I'm doing things. Well, I have to see the way that I'm worthy of their attention, even when I mess up. That means I have to give people my vulnerability. I have to give people my mess, people that I trust, so that they can show me that they love me in the middle of it. That will rewrite the belief, give me new evidence over and over so that my heart and my base programming can say, yeah, when you're vulnerable, you're rewarded with love and that's the thing that rewrites the past hmm. but we have to actually go there before we can experience the healing wow I, this episode went by really really fast so tommy thanks so much so we're wow we're, oh, yeah it did <laughs> <laughs> so we're um we're, we actually are going to close with uh the question that we ask everybody so um, we asked this question, you know, what does Jesus have to say, you know, about my past? Um, and mm -hmm. you'll, uh, whatever heresy that I bring up, um, you'll get to clean up however <laughs> I respond. So Perfect. does that sound good? Perfect. That sounds so, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this, uh, as we relate to, you know, this podcast, uh, you know, we talked a lot about the writers of the Bible. So whether it's Peter or Paul, and as you read the letters that they wrote in the New Testament called epistles, like it just seems like they have a decent handle on their past. And I'm thinking specifically of Paul. You know, he writes, I, I was a hypocrite. I was a Pharisee. I was against Jesus. And, you know, that doesn't negate his belief of the verses that, you know, you've been forgiven and your sins are as far as from the East, from the West. That doesn't negate those, but there's actually far more complexity in their belief of being human and their past. And they're far more aware. And I wonder kind of, as you said, if, if that's the power of grace, that it, it's hard to be aware, it's hard to be self-aware, mm. but in those moments of acute awareness of where God has brought you, you can receive grace because mm. you can just see it. And you haven't rewritten it um, in a revisionist history form. What you've done is you've mm. allowed Jesus to enter those places. So as I knock my mic over, um, I, would, I would probably say that I think the writers of Scripture and I think Jesus are far more aware and far more open to seeing their past through the lens of the present and future through grace. So that's what I'd say. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's exactly right. I think that the past me is still me and the past me is, is 
is the basis of who I am at this moment. And so I want God who is outside of time. Also, this is a funny, weird realization that I had this idea that God is in my past, present and future, right? He's outside of time. We're the ones who experience time as this linear thing. And and I'm in this one moment, but all I remember, like my life is just memory. And so that means that I am my past. And so if God wants to love me, he has to accept all of me. And he did. But the challenge is that I, I don't often love me because mm-hmm. I want to love present me. And especially I really love future me. Future me is going to be awesome. And so I really love that version of me. And, and I think that there's no way that I will be future version of me until I reconcile what past me was mm-hmm. and past me is just me. And so until I can be honest, like what is, what is un, what is unidentified and unaddressed is unforgiven. And that doesn't mean in the cosmic sense of like, Oh, you know, that's still on the balance sheet because like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I haven't forgiven me as well and as thoroughly as Jesus has. I haven't repented of all the things I've done also as well as like Jesus has forgiven me for more than I've repented of. And the idea though, is that the more that I do those things, the more that I recognize, it's just the more of me that I'm uncovering. And it's the more of me that I'm allowing God to love. I used to say this, uh, whenever uh, we do baptism events and baptize all these people, it was, it was this great moment because I, I got to look at them and say, you have all of Jesus that you will ever have. And what I mean by that is he's not holding back from you at all. There's Mm -hmm. nothing he has more to give you because you have access to all of him. The rest of your life is a process of giving more of yourself to him because you can't unlock more of him. You can't get to tier two or premium level, you know, membership or a list rewards or a companion pass. You, you can't get to any of those things because there's no more that he has to give to you. He's given him help himself fully to you. All that we have to do is give more of ourselves to him. And that means delving into my past so that I can hand it to him so that he can love me. And that is that's a beautiful thing, not because it's something he needs from us. It's because it's something he wants for us. Mm-hmm. It's a gift that he wants us to get, to, wants to give us. Um, and it's a grace that he wants to provide us. And so, um, that also has a massive effect on our relationships as well, because we do the same thing, um, with other people's relationships. You know, the, the way I saw a person, before because of something that happened is now how the way that I see them, that prediction machine, you know, it it happens with God and it happens with people. They did this. Therefore they will do this again. And that never ends up going well. And so unless we identify honestly, what other people did do us do, um, that's part of this process, right? It's not just thinking back through my own sin throughout my whole life. It's, it's what's happened to me. Where have I lost things that I actually needed? Where did I not have the love, the joy, the support, the care that would have actually done something for me and would have changed something? Uh, Those moments are really important because 
we actually like to forgive people. We have to be incredibly honest, brutally honest about what they did to us, what we lost, what they took from us. Because if it, the process works the same way, whether it's about my past, a relationship or something with God, if it, if it remains unstated, unidentified and unaddressed, it remains unforgiven, unrepented of, or unresolved. Like the only way, th the only way past it is through it. And that works on all of those levels. And so that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be whole people and not think that past me sucks and future me is great. And that's, that's all just me. And I think that he wants to love all of us and that's, that's the hope. And that's why we have to deal with our past. Thank you so much. Uh, Tommy, where can people find you? And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so what we uh, just are about to finish, and by the time you're listening to this, hopefully this will be out and ready. Um, what we want to do is create sort of a reliable roadmap for people to be able to navigate through this process based on any situation. So it wasn't based on a specific behavior or emotion. It was just how do I engage with the past, but also with the issues of my present and even the anxiety about the future, how do I create this reliable roadmap to figure out what's wrong at the bottom, at the bottom of things. Right. And so it's, it's that process that I kind of walked through. It's, um, what are my behaviors telling me? What are they, what are they a cry for help about what needs are going unmet and what am I trying to accomplish with them? Um, when I look at them as evidence, what emotional states are driving those behaviors and where have those emotions been tagged with these dangerous memories, painful memories in the past? And how do those things tell me what I've learned to believe and how I approach the, the world and myself and God because of those beliefs? And then when I can do all that, how do I repair what's broken? And we, you know, walk through some of those tools of um, how to repair things with God and then with other people. Um, and that's about to be out. So it's donewithstuck.com. Actually, if you go to donewithstuck.com slash why God, why um, we've got one sheet. One of the, the main things that I think anchors us in the past is, is forgiveness of others. It's one of the, the main repair tools that we walk through, um, but it's also one of the most accessible. And uh, so many of us have people that we want to forgive, but can't. Mm -hmm. Um, don't feel like we can forget. And, you know, then you hear a verse about, well, God forgets all our sins. So I'm supposed to forget, but I don't think that's possible. And it's just confusing. And so, um, and you don't want to get walked on again, but so, um, if you go to donewithstuck.com slash why God, why I've got a forgiveness worksheet. It's like one of the, the tools you can start walking through kind of a way to delve into the past in a, a sort of a tiptoe way. But then that course, uh, you know, the Done With Stuck Roadmap, we call it, is hopefully going to be out by the time you're listening to this. And you'll get some information on that if you head there as well. You can go through this process and um, start navigating through your current and past struggles um, sort of with this reliable roadmap that'll teach you what's going on inside of you and then where to go with it and what to do. Well, hey, thank you so much. Make sure you go check that out. Don't forget the best place to hear this episode and to find out more is to subscribe to our email at whygodwhypodcast.com. Uh, Tommy, thanks for joining us, and we hope you all have a great day. Mm -hmm.